This is a Soulfire production. Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, the Biden era. (laughs) Wow. What a week it has been. I mean, I hit the fucking wall last couple days. Just it wasn't like I was even doing that much. I was just consuming so much of this fucking nonsense that it wore me out. It beat me down. But I'm here. And I'm here for you, and I'm glad that you're here. One way that you can let me know that you're here, aside from listening to this podcast, is uh, going over to Apple Podcasts, leaving a review, and sharing the show. That's how this thing is going to grow. That's how we're going to continue the fight for our right to... I don't know, justice or whatever. Uh, I mean, partying as well, but I think we we can handle that. Listen, here's the deal. Going into 2021, things are going to be changing for this show. Um, I'm fucking stoked on this show. I love doing this and I'm going to be adding more content, but to get that extra content, you've got to be a subscriber to the Patreon. So hit the link in the show notes of this or go to patreon.com slash Connor wanders right now. There's only one tier. It is 450. That's the premium exclusive tier right now. It is super affordable. I made it that way on purpose. If you get in there before the new year, I'm going to make sure that you are treated with the utmost, um, privilege. It's the privilege tier because things may be changing. I'm going to add uh, a $10 tier and do some different things. But I want you, if you're like one of the OGs, I want you to have special preferential treatment. You can do that by going to the Patreon and getting subscribed. Now, we don't have a special name for our Patreon subscribers, but I love them the most. I'm going to be real with you. If you're not one of those people, I, I, I care about you. I like you. I'm in like with you, but I'm not in love with you like I am with my Patreon people. So if you are one of our Patreon subscribers, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I I think we're just getting started. Like we're just getting started. Trump is out of the way. So let's just kind of break down really quickly what's happened over the last few days. I feel like there's a a, a bit of relief that is appropriate. I do not think that excitement is necessarily the appropriate emotion. Feel what you want to feel, do what you want to do, but I don't think that being super excited for for an extended period of time is necessarily the move. We've got a fuck ton of work to do here, okay? There are some things that Trump did that were okay. There were some things that Trump did that were atrocious. There were a few things he did that were really good, and I want to go ahead and say that. I don't, I'm not going to just shit on this guy. And this election really isn't over. There's a lot of things that are going to be happening over the next several months that are going to be really exhausting and stressful and frustrating for people that are consuming this stuff to to be balls deep in. All right. So that's going to be quite the experience. I'm going to be covering as much of it as I feel is relevant here on the show. But the big thing right now is voter fraud, right? You have everything from the far right conspiracy theorists like Alex Jones, who I am a fan of and do enjoy his content mostly from an entertainment base, <laughs> entertainment standpoint, but people saying things like there were secret watermarks on uh, the legitimate ballots, and this is some kind of large-scale sting operation that Trump orchestrated in order to catch the Democrats in fraud, in voter fraud. I think that is, personally think that is absolutely absurd, um, that they could run that kind of, that, that, kind, that scale of operation, I think it's I think it's absurd that the to think the Republicans could run that scale of operation without being found out beforehand through the intelligence community 
that seems odd. And I also think it's it's kind of ridiculous to think that the Democrats could orchestrate something like that without being found out. Like on both sides, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You have that kind of voter fraud versus this kind of standard voter fraud that happens every election that it, in the history of, you know, the modern era, which is registering and voting uh, for dead people and things like that. So there's a lot of stuff going on and I want to put this out there. And this is something I tweeted this the other day, put it on, put it on Instagram and it got a lot of response is that the last thing that anyone needs to do right now, especially on the left is shame or judge or criticize Trump supporters. That is the antithesis of what we need to do. Okay. The Trump the Trump people, the hardcore Trumpers, let's call them like extreme MAGA people are going to make a fool of themselves. You just got to step back. There's no need to attack them, criticize them, judge them. If you have someone who vote in your, in your periphery of your social circle that voted for Trump, or maybe a dear friend or a partner that voted for Trump, let that shit go. Okay. It's important to understand that people vote in their own economic interest. And a lot of people were doing better economically due to the Trump presidency and the tax cuts and things like that than they were four years ago. And that's understandable. That's understandable. People can look past Trump being an asshole in order to, to, <laughs> to, to gain financially. It makes sense. Okay. And the shaming of these people is not helpful. It's not helpful. You're just doing the same thing that Trumpers did four years ago. Okay, now this is a time where if you are a hypocrite, it will be exposed. All right, we're seeing that already. I'm watching Charlie Kirk in a puddle of tears being an absolute hypocrite and not accepting the outcome of an election in the same way that he criticized liberals for not accepting the outcome of an election for four years. There are going to be people that do not accept the outcome of this election for four years. All right. And what you're going to start seeing, and I'm just predicting this here, and I think it's already happening a little bit, is Republicans are going to just start jumping ship, right? You're going to see that. And there's a lot of Republicans that just played along in order to get elected uh, with Trump, and I'm not going to give them too much credit because those people are pieces of garbage, but they're going to start jumping ships like the fucking rats they are, right? The ship is sinking, and they're going to start bailing, and they're going to start dif uh, separating themselves from Trump. Soon, now that this thing is all settling in, they're strategizing right now on how to do that. And that's okay. But let's not forget, let's not forget what they did. My homies out in Texas, if we have a lot of listeners down in Texas, remember that. Remember that. A lot of Republicans aren't acting like Dan Crenshaw, who I do have respect for, even though I disagree with him on a lot of policy positions, is acting with some kind of integrity and some kind of respect, which is what you can expect from someone like Dan Crenshaw. But then we have someone like a new Congress member, Marjorie Taylor Greene, a QAnon supporter, which we're going to talk about more later on in the show, that are not doing that. Okay, These are conspiracy theorists that somehow worked their way into um, the House of Representatives, and that's going to be very, very interesting. But Republicans will start jumping ship. Commentators like Tim Pool, who have shifted into becoming a complete right-wing grifter, are going to look foolish. Okay, this guy was talking about, if you know who Tim Pool is, he used to be positioned himself as kind of a liberal that moved to the right and has become an ultimate Trump grifter. Second to maybe only Charlie Kirk, right? Was talking about a 49 state uh, landslide victory for Trump over and over and over again. Those people look idiotic. That was an idiotic thing to say in, from, from the jump. 
And it's, it's going to come back and bite these people. The people that will stand the test of time through this are the people who stood pragmatically, right? The Kyle Kalinskis, the Crystal Balls, the Saw Jetties, like those people, Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro, I have to say right now, I'm going to give a huge shout out to Ben Shapiro. Again, don't agree with him on policy, but the dude is intellectually honest. He says dumb shit, dumb shit on a regular basis. That's more social cultural because I don't think he really connects with people in that way but has taken a very pragmatic approach and a very um, legal-minded approach, being a lawyer or whatever, having a law degree. He comes to this very pragmatically, and I really appreciated the way the stance he's taken in this Trump loss and in the uh, litigation that is to follow uh, the Trump loss. Now, there was, as I said, I'm going to admit this, as most people should, there is voter fraud at play here, obviously, right? Is it enough? Is it enough to swing the election? No, I really don't think so. We will see. We're gonna they're they're gonna sift through all of this stuff, but rest easy. I don't think it's gonna swing. If it swings one state, that would surprise me. If it swings three to actually change the election, I just don't see it happening. I don't see it happening. And the weird thing is, on the right, people just can't accept the fact that a lot of people just voted against Trump. You know, I think it was sixty some odd percent of people that were voting for Biden were voting against Trump. And I think that with Trump out of the way, we can do a lot here. And I think that people assume, this may be sound counterintuitive, people assume that with someone like Biden in office, that kind of the wokeness that many of us that are free speech advocates, um, and <laughs> I, would, I don't want to call myself a pragmatic thinker, but that's the feedback that I get, Um are looking at this thing and saying, all right, with Trump out of the way, without the embodiment of the downside of all the freedoms we have, and that's what I feel Trump was. He was a, he, he showed the downside of capitalism, the downside of free speech, and all these things have sacrifices. But he embodied the worst parts of freedom. And with him out of the way, we can actually wage a war on this toxic wokeness, right, and these terrible ideas, the critical race theories, the Robin D'Angelo's of the world who are shouting terrible ideas and they're being accepted, the defund the police type ideas, we can actually look at those pragmatically because we don't have this fucking orange douchebag clogging the system and, and, and being an example of what is wrong with the world. With him out of the way and with somebody who's kind of a uh, meh, Biden's like a meh candidate, with, with them out of the way, we can, and just somebody that's neutral in the White House for four more years, we can actually wage a war on bad ideas. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but think about it. Think about it. You don't have that glaring, obvious shadow side of everything that we value, right? Because there are shadow th- sides to everything that we value. There's shadow sides to the, to the Second Amendment. There's shadow sides to all of this stuff. There's shadow sides to fucking democracy. Everything has a shadow, Okay. And if we can separate ourselves from the worst parts of that, which are Donald Trump, he embodies those, maybe we can wage a war on these terrible ideas that have become rampant in our society. We can do that. I really believe that. And I think that what this says about our nation, like if we look at the way this election went down and the way that we showed up, what this says about our nation is that one, we're incredibly divided, which is no surprise. But two, people are voting for normalcy, a return to normalcy. And that gives people like me and the Brett Weinsteins and the Ben Shapiro's and the the Sam Harris's and these people of the world who are speaking up, the crystal balls of the world that are speaking up, maybe they're economic populists, 
Maybe they're, they're free speech advocates. Maybe they're conservatives. Maybe they're libertarians. Gives us a, an, a, a, the ability to have these ideas out in the open, spoken to each other, and have quality, open, honest discourse around ideas. I think it. I think what we voted for was that. I want to believe that's what we voted for. And I know the left is is the far left, especially, is I don't even want to say the far left. The alt left, especially, hates that. Right. If you're the type of person who's shouting defund the police for some reason, you think free speech, generally speaking, it correlates with you thinking free speech is not important, which is conflicts on all levels, right? But I think that we can push hard. We can push hard and create a better environment for quality discourse. And that's what I believe our focus should be over the next four years, whether Biden makes it that four years or not, that's up for debate. I tend to think he won't, but we'll see. We'll see. So with all that, with that rant, (laughs) I'm excited. I am excited about this, but let's get into... The ever-expanding, ever-interesting state of things. All right, so we have discussed a little bit already about the general election, the presidential election, but there is a lot more that happened that is worth looking at than just the presidential election. Okay, so let's start this thing off with what happened in Congress. And this is a big indicator. I think this is something that people aren't talking about a ton. And maybe if you're not super into this kind of shit, you wouldn't be seeing this. Okay, so the uh, the Republicans are going to most likely retain control of the Senate. Right. So Mitch McConnell, that gigantic turtle looking piece of shit is going to be the Senate majority leader. With all in all likelihood, we thought I thought I, I said that I thought the Democrats would take the Senate, um, but that's not the case. We have a few run a couple of runoff elections in Georgia that will happen in January. And if those go blue, then there's a chance. But it's it's doubtful that that will happen, um, even though it looks like Georgia did flip um, in the presidential election. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen with the Senate. But there are a couple of runoff elections happening. So. Let's keep that in mind, all right? Now, when you have a Republican Senate, a Republican majority in the Senate, it's gonna hinder what the what the executive branch is able to do. So keep that in mind, all right? That's going to make Biden look very bad, and then we get into the midterms, we'll see what happens, it could be really ugly. All right, now, aside from the Senate, we also had the Democrats losing, it looks like they're going to lose about 10 seats in the house. They're going to retain the majority, but they're going to lose about 10 seats in the house. It's really important for us not to sit here. And especially I'm saying this to the Democrat, uh, the hardcore Democrats out there looking at, at winning this election by the skin of your teeth, right? Barely winning this election is not a time to get complacent and think that your ideas won. Okay, I'm a firm believer that Biden didn't necessarily, I mean, he won the election, but it wasn't Biden that won the election. It was somebody that's not Trump winning the election. Okay, a lot of people voted for Biden. Uh, I would say more people voted against Trump. People just hate that motherfucker, and I understand that. But we got to keep this in mind. Losing 10, house, 10 seats in the House and not gaining a majority in the Senate says a lot about the state of the Democratic Party. Okay, that means that a lot of people went in 
and voted for Biden, but then also voted for conservative um, representatives, senators. That's something to be. That's something to think about. And what is that? Why is that? The Democratic establishment will say that the left, the the squad, the AOCs of the world who won their elections in absolute blowouts, by the way, that they were the problem. That that's why we're losing seats. I think that's absolutely absurd. And they're gonna they're gonna blame it on Bernie. The, the fucking Democrats want to blame everything on Bernie Sanders. It is embarrassing. <laughs> it's very embarrassing. But we have to understand, I mean, there's going to be a war in the next four years over the future of the Democratic Party because there's really no likelihood of of us getting out of this two-party system, which would be the the better solution to have a populist party, which I would be right involved in, along with a lot of my uh, libertarian friends. I think that would be a great great way to move this thing, but we're not looking like that's going to happen. So we're in a situation where we need to understand that we lost 10 House in 10 seats in the House and did not gain a Senate majority. Not a lot will be getting done in the next four years. Okay. For all of you out there that want a little bit of a, a reassurance like myself that no one's going to take away your guns or pass any really Biden's gun plan. I'm going to break it down in a future video because he's one now is kind of nonsensical in a lot of ways. There's a few good things in there, but generally speaking, it's kind of meh. Um, I mean, I would just say, I wouldn't even say it's meh. I would say it's kind of fucking bad. Uh, things like that. And Biden's tax plan, which seemed to be a little bit weird as well, uh, are probably not going to get passed due to the Senate majority being Republican. So keep that in mind as you're going forward. If you're super disappointed that his, his first 100 days don't go as he, as he wants them to be or him and Kamala want them to be, it's going to be due to that Senate majority and the fear that we had now have of losing the House because uh, we've already lost 10 seats. You know, and as I look at, so let me put my, put this in my, I just keep saying we, and I'm speaking for Democrats because I lean left, even though I would not really consider myself a Democrat. But as I've considered running for office, right, running for Congress, being a state representative in Colorado, I think about how that shapes the way that I would articulate myself and my ideas. And that's not something I'm 100% sure I'm going to do, but it does bounce around my bounce around in my head uh, fairly often. And I think that the, the the Democrats have a really good opportunity here to position themselves as pro free speech and bringing forth some common sense gun legislation. I think that would be really really impressive, and being very very vocal about moving forward with decriminalization of drugs, which is the foundation of police and prison reform, and healthcare. Because we're, as we're going to talk about later in the show, the big winner of this election was drugs. <laughs> right? That's that's the big that's that's the thing that's actually going to make a difference. And we'll get into that later in the, later down the road, but we've got a, a lot to think about here as far as the future of the Republican and the Democratic Party. Because things are shifting. We are in a period of chaos. And you've got to turn that into a, an opportunity, okay? Through chaos comes an opportunity to shift, adjust, and evolve. And I think that is where we need to be focused on and how we can do that. So keep all of this in mind, all of this in mind. This is going to be a really interesting few years, and I'm very, very excited about it. Let's move on to <laughs> Marjorie Taylor Green. All right, QAnon supporter, 
And um, now, <laughs> Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene got into it with a, a real conservative and one that deserves a little bit of respect here, Dan Crenshaw. All right, now let's check out what they had to say. Dan came out on Twitter and said, if Trump loses, he loses. It was never an, an impossible outcome, and we must accept the final results when it is over. But the unfortunate reality is that there is a there is very little trust in the process where irregularities have been flagrant and transparency lacking. It should not be partisan to suggest calmly that investigations occur and the court's process plays out. Americans need to be sure of a winner and a loser. The winners should especially want that. I believe that 100%. It's a very pragmatic conservative approach, right? Let's let the things play out in the court. I think even if you're on the left, you're like, yeah, let's let it play out. Let's be 100% certain. As he says, the winners should especially want that. I tend to agree with him there. Marjorie Taylor Greene quote tweets him here and says, the time to stand up for at real Donald Trump is right now. Republicans can't back down. This loser mindset is how the Democrats win. President Trump has fought for us. We have to fight for him. He, we won't forget. Trust me. And then Dan responds to her and says, did you, ever, did you even read past the first sentence? Or are you just purposefully lying so you can talk tough? No one said get up, give up. I literally said investigate every, every irregularity and use the courts. You're a member of Congress now, Marjorie. Start acting like one. Holy shit. That's rough. And then she says, I read every word. Why are you leading with losing? Our Republican base is sick, is sick and tired of weakness coming from Congress. I will do exactly what the people of Northwest Georgia elected me to do. Fight. I hope you'll join me. All right. So then I went over to Marjorie Taylor Greene's Twitter account and saw that she had put this together. And this is just incredible. This is Marjorie Greene. The American people re-elected President Trump, but Democrats want to steal this election with fake mail-in ballots, dead people voting, hidden vote counting, and rigged rules. And if they get away with it now, they'll steal two Senate seats in January. No, they won't. Joe Biden's agenda? in the filibuster. Add new Democrat states the Supreme Court, and then it's all. So I want to put, I want to point this out really quick before we move on with the rest of this, the last 20 seconds of this, um, ending the filibuster is actually a very popular, um, position among the American people. So, you know, democracy, um, adding the district of Columbia as a state is also incredibly popular. I seem to think that seems to make sense to me outside of it being a good idea or a bad idea. It seems to make sense. And packing the Supreme court is a very interesting conversation that I think it deserves a lot of bipartisan consideration based on the way that Mitch McConnell has manipulated the courts and moved them super far to the right uh, due to his him leveraging the filibuster to keep to keep uh, any to keep Obama from doing his job and filling seats. So one of the things that Mitch McConnell is most proud of is not doing his job, um, and it's been really embarrassing to me. So just to put that out there as things that are you know she's she's fear mongering here, but these are actually things that all deserve um, at least a conversation over. Don't let Democrats steal this election and destroy America. Yep, we're trying to destroy America. That's what we're doing. Stop the steal now before it's too late. 
So this is what you get when you elect a QAnon believer to Congress. This is going to be an embarrassment for Georgia. Um, and Georgia has a handful of things to be embarrassed about, but generally a great state, a beautiful state. Beautiful state. I love Georgia. Got to visit there with, a, with an ex-girlfriend of mine and spend some time. Amazing. Amazing. But, uh, yeah, this is odd. This is, this is a really odd thing here, and she has just got a rampant uh, fan base. Really interesting. So it's, I'm, I'm curious this is going to play out. But this is going to be the rhetoric, right? It's that it's that instead of going into Congress with this desire to do her job, right, and negotiate and hear out other sides, like she, the thing is, like I, I defend her right to to do and say what she needs to say because she represents clearly. She won by I think it was like seventy five percent to twenty five percent type of type of margin here. She won in a big way in a very Republican district. Now. That's fine, and she represents the ideology of a, of a large segment of the population. I respect that, okay, even if I think their ideas are absolutely fucking retarded. That is, that is okay. But then you can't do that when you're on the far right. You can't look at an AOC and be like, she's trying to destroy America, right? When that's absolutely not what AOC or the squad is trying to do, right? You're just, you're just creating a straw man argument versus saying, okay, well, let's see what my ideas are. Let's see what their ideas are, letting ideas win the day. This is what our leadership has been doing. It's been creating more division amongst themselves, and that's trickled down to us, right? So the division has become incredibly uh, damaging to our society. And when you have someone like this thinking all Democrats want to do is literally destroy America, uh, that's, a, that's, that's a hard line to take whenever, whenever you look at Democrats or people that are on the left and say, like, well, we're, we're trying to make this a better place, and we have, we have thought out our ideas as well. Right, whether that be Medicare for all or decriminalization of drugs, these are all left-wing approaches to 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 solving problems, and that doesn't come from an intention to want to uh, destroy America. So, Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to be somebody that we talk about, I think, regularly on this show because she'll be in Congress, and this is going to be this is very interesting to see how she came through um, with the support of QAnon. Uh, it, it says a lot about where we are as as a nation right now, and I'm really proud of Crenshaw, who does want to investigate these the elections and just to create a better system here, um, and that, that's going to be necessary. Like if you're if you're a liberal and you don't want these to be investigated, like you need to reflect on that because we need to uh, create. We've embarrassed ourselves on the global on the glo- globally here because we haven't we, we've we've shown that our democracy is very fragile and our systems for vote counting and things like that are really bad like we're we're as far as developed nations go we're the worst like straight up like in primaries you remember the primary thing where Pete Buttigieg came out and declared victory even though he hadn't won i believe that was in Iowa um like we have issues with this and and there's Brazil does a better job and nothing works well in Brazil Right, like they do a better job of counting votes than we do. Like we got to reflect on that and say, hey, why is this such a problem? And can we create some bipartisan consensus on reforming our elections? That's what we should learn from this election. Not that the Democrats are trying to destroy America. That is incredibly uh, hyperbolic and and very just 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 it's stupid. It's fucking stupid. Like it's stupid. So uh, that's where we're at with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, Georgia, you've got your hands full here, and we will see how that goes. Now let's move on to something that actually really matters. Drugs win. Drugs win. 2020 election, drugs win. Holy shit. Now I'm going to read through. This is amazing. I love seeing this, all right? New York Times, say what you will about them, has... 
um, has come out. And it was just so fun for me to, to Google uh, drug decriminalization and marijuana legalization. Just typing that in, the first thing pops up, New York Times saying, Oregon decriminalizes small amounts of heroin and cocaine and four states legalize marijuana. So let's get into this thing. Oregon became the first state to decriminalize small amounts of cocaine, heroin, methamphetamine, and other drugs. And in New Jersey, South Dakota, Montana, and Arizona, voters decisively passed laws legalizing recreational marijuana. Cannabis is now legal across a large block of states in the West, from Washington down to the Mexico border and well beyond. Cannabis was also on the ballot in Mississippi. If all of these marijuana measures pass, marijuana will be legal for medical use in three dozen states and recreational use will be allowed in 15. That's incredible. And I want to point this out. Uh, Montana and South Dakota are deep, deep, deep red states. So very conservative states. Those people, you got to think there's how many people it took for this to over to pass overwhelmingly within their state. And that's people going into their ballot, voting for Trump, and then voting to legalize marijuana. That says a lot about the state of our nation and gives me a lot of hope. Now, it says the Oregon measure makes possession of small amounts of what have long been considered harder drugs a violation similar to a traffic ticket and no longer punishable by jail time. This law also funds drug addiction treatment from marijuana sales taxes. Oh my God, is that not the most practical and responsible thing that you can fucking think of? Marijuana sales tax, which is incredibly high and generates a ton of revenue, being funneled into drug rehab services. Wow. That is so, so, so powerful. That is, a, that is something that should be adopted nationwide. Holy shit, that's great. Now we go down here, it says separately, Oregon voters also legalized psilocybin, known as magic mushrooms, for people over of the age of 21 or older. Proponent, proponents say that the move would allow the drug to be used to treat depression, anxiety, and other conditions. I will say this, Oregon now, Oregon and Colorado, will be two states that are leading the way in psychedelic-assisted therapy to treat PTSD. And for a nation that loves to create war and loves to not take care of their fucking veterans, this is huge. The level of PTSD from whether it be abuse as a child uh, or an adult uh, and wartime PTSD is so damaging to our society. And we need to be doing everything we can to innovate ways to treat that. In Oregon, fucking... Props to you, Oregon. You've done some dumb shit, some real dumb shit over the past six months, but this is amazing, and I am fucking proud of you, and I hope that this catches on. I am just blown away at the number. If you look at the map now, the, the majority of states in this country have either recreational or medical marijuana legalization. My homies in Texas, again, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you just got to wait or move to Colorado. But with the influx of Californians moving to Texas, this is coming soon. I think in two years, you guys have got this. And Texas, man, people love weed in Texas. People love it. So they're going to make a shit ton of money. It's going to be fantastic. And everybody's going to be happy. This is going to be great. This is an incredible step forward. This is fracturing the foundation of Nixon and Reagan era drug laws that were racist and unfair and unjustified. And now this is a step towards real police and prison reform, not defunding the police, defunding the war on drugs. And maybe you'll need less cops. Maybe. 
Maybe those co- people that used to be cops can go work security for the dispensaries. And maybe people that own dispensaries can actually open bank accounts soon. Like we're, we're moving towards this. And this is, this is going to put the conservatives in a situation where they have to reevaluate what their stance is on this. Because they've clung on to that Reagan style of governance for way too long. And it is getting very, very, very outdated. Just like the Democrats have hung on to this Clinton era, right? Which was also very tough on crime, which was just stupid. Um, I'm just diverting to stupid now whenever I <laughs> whenever I can't think of a better word to describe these policies. But this is huge. So the war on drugs has been lost. Drugs are winning. The tide is turning. And this is a great thing for our nation. So proud of Oregon. Now maybe they can, you know, their, their cops can actually go back to doing what they need to do and getting some peace and order in the streets. Or maybe everybody can just get high, sit down together, take a little mushrooms, and just sort out their differences. That's what I think should happen. Oregon, get both sides together, microdose some psilocybin mushrooms, smoke a little weed, and just sort out your differences. Get the Antifa guys and the Proud Boys together and just have a conversation. Get the BLM people together. Let's just have a conversation, right? Stay away from heroin. I'm not, I'm not, don't do heroin, right? But, you know, the psychedelic, maybe take a little LSD, Reflect on yourself a little bit. Maybe do a little microdosing. Maybe do a little macrodosing. This is great. This is I'm so of all the things. This is actually to me more important than the presidential election. I think this is is amazing. I'm curious to see whenever when the dust settles what people have to say about this because this just if you can't tell I'm I'm this makes me proud of America. Proud to be an American where at least I know I'm a little bit freer than I was a few days ago. Fantastic. So I want to cover this real quick. I think this is very interesting. And it was just running through my mind. It was, it, was, it was kind of bouncing around in my head, and I was thinking, well, how could Trump have won? How could Trump have won? Because I think without COVID, Trump wins in a landslide, right? I think Trump would have won just based on where the, the state of the economy, where things were going, the optics of that. I think he would have won. So the first thing I would say, how, how could Trump have won? was just his handling of coronavirus. And I don't even think that that means that less people would have died or that the cases wouldn't have been the same or the death rate would have been the same. I don't think a lot of that could have been changed by that many actions. I think a lot of that is just kind of um, left side talking points, right? I really don't see his actions making a big difference. And some people that I really respect agree with that. I do think that there's a place where there's blame on both sides for stimulus not coming in. I think a lot of that blame falls on Nancy Pelosi. Trump was really prepared to give her whatever she wanted, even if it disagreed with uh, the, the, the Senate majority of, of conservatives there. He was ready to pull the trigger, and Nancy Pelosi blocked it for, and I think that really damaged the way that we, the way, the, the seats that we lost in the House, right? As Democrats, lost in the house. I keep saying we, I need to stop doing that. But the seats, I think that Nancy Pelosi contributed heavily to the seats that were lost in the house. And that was by blocking stimulus. That was pretty obvious. If you have paid any attention at all, that she was the reason that we didn't have stimulus happening. So I don't want to put that on Trump necessarily, even though he could have acted sooner. He could have acted sooner and he could have been a more open and transparent about it. But his handling of COVID and just not wanting to take it seriously. There was a lot of ways that he could have conducted himself and, and, and articulated himself, which is not his strong suit by any means. But he could have listened to the people around him, taken it seriously, and acted like a leader. I think with that, he would have won 
the election. I think the way he handled the protesting and the rioting after uh, George Floyd could have also led to him winning the election, right? It take, it's as simple as taking the stance of instead of tweeting law and order constantly, tweeting, hey, there's going to be zero tolerance of riots and looting, and there's going to be zero tolerance of, of police overreach and violence when it comes to nonviolent protests, right? The police acted atrociously during those protests, and so did the protesters, and I want to call them, I would say the rioters. The protesters, I was at a couple of protests. Everything was cool. When the, when the sun went down, shit got a little weird, and there, was, were bad, there were bad actors. There were bad actors on both sides. There were good people on both sides, right? I mean, that's a kind of a Trump thing that he said before, but there were great people on both sides. But he took a side when it would, it would have been the most diplomatic thing to do was hold both sides accountable. If he would have done that, I think he wins the election. And I think the third thing here that he could have done to win the election is to encourage his supporters to vote early. Like he was so, he, he, he sought to undermine, he knew that he wasn't going to get the majority of votes from early voting, obviously, but he didn't give himself the opportunity to get even close right? Because he undermined the early voting system, which was, I mean, could be much better. I'm be real with you. It could be much better, but he could have taken advantage of that and encouraged his people to get out, vote early, vote early. He could have, he could have taken the same line the Democrats did and given himself a better chance. And with that, I think he had a better chance of winning the election. I don't know if that alone would have done it, but I think it would have helped a ton. And I think it would have minimized a lot of what we have now. I think that if you put those three things together, Biden doesn't stand a chance. I really do. And, and I'm curious, you know, what we have now with this, with this kind of crazy madness around um, what's happening, who won, you know, the, the people that are, that are having a hard time believing or accepting the outcome. I think if he would have taken these, taken these, uh, these steps, I don't think he would. We would even be close to some situation like this. So really interesting to just play in your mind, like how could Trump have won this thing? Really just encouraging people to vote by mail, a little bit taking COVID a little more seriously and just his rhetoric around that being a little more appropriate and then handling the whole law and order thing uh, a completely different way. But what we see right now is that Trump has positioned himself very well to lose this election. This he's he's failing upward in my opinion. And there are some things about Trump that are beneficial, right? Like him calling out the swamp and calling out hypocrisy. I think it's actually better for him to do that outside of the White House. I think that he has some kind of weird value to add as far as the conversation even though he's a complete fucking tool and a piece of shit. Like there's something about what he has to say and now that he's been inside of the White House like calling out what's going on if he can do that in a relatively honest way which is, I don't have very much hope for, but it seems like what he's going to do here is take his most of his voters, his real avid supporters, think that this election was stolen from him, right? And they're going to continue to think that regardless of what the litigation provides, right? So he's in a situation where he can really start a media company, do something, leverage the momentum that he has now, and do really well for himself and his whole family. Just think about like Trump TV or if he buys OAN or if, you know, he creates a competitor to Fox News, which there really isn't one, right? Like CNN and MSNBC kind of compete back and forth, but there's not a competitor like that for Fox News. And I think that he can create that and we'll see how that goes. I mean, he could probably scoop up Tucker Carlson if he really wanted to, right? And make him whatever, like offer him a super sweet deal 
And then we've got another Fox News type situation on our hands, which would be really interesting. And I think he's positioned really well to do that. I kind of think he's glad he lost the election. And he's going to fight it as much as he can to make, continue to perpetuate the idea that his that his supporters already have that he didn't actually lose, take all that support, roll it into his new media network, and do really well for himself. So I think that it's better for him that he lost. I think it's better for the nation that he lost. It's a win-win all the way around. So we'll see how that goes. But I think Trump could have won this election easily. The only person who who failed here is him, right? Whether he didn't listen to his advisors or if his advisors were misleading him, who knows? But it's his responsibility, and he he lost on his own. So we'll see what happens next. Now, with that all being said, it's time to get into my favorite part of the show. Where I give you something to think about. The war on wokeness begins. I, for one, believe that it's time for all those uh, leftist thinkers, intellectuals, Sam Harris's of the world, to get fired up because there will be a war on bad ideas. I firmly believe that is going to happen now because we have this giant orange glowing distraction out of the White House. We can speak the fuck up. And then if Twitter censors it, it can't be because of Trump. The scapegoat is gone. The scapegoat is gone. And now we can have these conversations without being accused of supporting Trump. It's the most frustrating thing to want to bring something up that may not be a popular opinion, but that you feel very convicted about and having intellectual honesty turned against you because of Trump. That is no longer the case because I voted for Biden. I wanted Biden to win. And here we are. And now I feel a little more free to say what the fuck is on my mind. And I hope you do too. Because that accusation of supporting Trump or wanting Trump to win is no longer a thing. So Robin D'Angelo, you're going to get called out. Matt Taibbi, sign the fuck on and let's get rolling, baby. It's time to work. It is time to work because with Biden in office, we lose that orange distraction that has been fucking clogging the gears of political discourse for four fucking years. It's done. We deal with the next two months of litigation and we get a little more freedom. And then Twitter doesn't feel on the hook for who gets elected. We get to breathe and we get to talk. And cancel culture might slow down a little bit. Now, maybe not. I could be completely wrong about this. But I have a feeling that with Trump out of the way, these (laughs) social media CEOs who were so exhausted dealing with this shit. Do you think they really want to deal with this shit? Do you think they really have a dog in the fight here? If anything else, they're like breathing a sigh of relief because they don't don't have to deal with Trump tweeting dumb shit and having to fact check him. Do you think that Jack Dorsey from Twitter wants to censor the president? Do you think that that's what he created Twitter for? Do you think that's on his mind at all? When he created Twitter, like, oh man, this could get bad because the president might tweet 
misleading information? I don't think so. I think Mark Zuckerberg really wants to be dealing with this shit right now. Honestly. No. No. So they can focus on doing things that are important, like, I don't know, finding uh, child pornography and child sex trafficking rings that are operating on their platforms, which is a huge problem. They can focus on that and not focus on fact-checking the goddamn president of the United States because Biden's not going to be tweeting that much. I don't even know if he knows how to tweet. And that's good. So that way us, us, we, me, you, we can say what we need to say. We can call out bad ideas and not be accused of being a goddamn Trump supporter. Man, doesn't that feel good? Doesn't it feel good to be able to be intellectually honest without being without being judged for the, our suspected political ideology? That's, that's, that's freedom in a way. And I don't think that the fear-mongering that the right was bringing, bringing, to the, bringing to the table about how, well, now that Biden's, now that Biden's president, no one's going to have free speech, everybody's guns are getting taken away, and there's going to be mandatory vaccines. No, there's not. No, there's not. That's not where this is headed. At all. This is good. This is, I, I really think, and it may, say, it may seem counterintuitive here, but I think we'll have more freedom of speech because we don't have a fucking clown in the White House. Now, that might hinge upon people like you, people like me, and the leaders, the real leaders with big audiences, right, bigger than mine, speaking up and starting strong and leading off this movement with saying, okay, Biden's in the White House now. He doesn't get a pass. He doesn't get a pass for anything. He doesn't get a pass for the crime bill. He doesn't get a, a pass for being a war hawk. And Kamala doesn't get a pass either. We've got to attack from the left. Attack from the right. Libertarians, let's go. Let's get together. And let's hold this fucking administration accountable. For everything they said they were going to do. For what they've, what they've promised. No one did that with Trump. And he was a slimy bitch. He could just like move in and out and, and dodge. I don't think Kamala and I don't think Biden have the skills to do that, which puts us in a great position to push them where we want them to go. They serve us. And with the, the, we still have quite a bit of narcissism in the White House, but not like we did. And that is a beautiful thing. So now, right now, I encourage you, speak up, speak out, and pave the way, pave the way, for more freedom of speech, more open discourse. And to do that is not only to speak up and speak out, but to do that is to fucking listen. Fucking listen first. Listen to the other side. Don't accuse them of being racist or trying to steal America or, or destroy America like these fucking assholes do from the right. Right? And on the left, again, don't accuse people of being racist or xenophobic every time they don't agree with you. It's cowardice. It is cowardice. Lead with empathy and fucking listen. And speak your piece. You can't expect people to, to respect your freedom of speech if you don't respect theirs. It's a two-way street. We've been sold a lie that is not the case. Let bad ideas out into the open. And defeat them with better ideas. Not with cancel culture.
That's where this should go. That's the direction we need to head. And we all need to be examples of what that can be like. So listen and speak up. Listen and speak up. If you feel there's a bad idea circulating, criticize it. With information, with stats, with facts, with personal experience. We have a responsibility here. There's a lot on the line. And with the orange man out of the way, maybe we can do something great. Maybe we can make America great again. (laughs) Everybody, thank you so much for hanging out. This has been really fun. I love this show. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and make sure to go over to YouTube and get all the videos. The videos are longer than the ones on IG, yada, yada, yada. Just get over there. Links are all in the show notes, and I would love if you would support us on Patreon. It means the absolute world to me. Oh, be safe out there and keep your head on straight. We'll see you next time.